great to see you here today. And um, just before we uh, get into the new series that starts today, just wanted to mention, uh, if you're new this afternoon, uh, that today is the launch of my new book called No More Law. So that's there. Thank you. And um, thank you. It's taken me three years to write. It's a bold study in Galatians. And uh, it means exactly what it says. No more law. No more law in the church. No more legalism. No more living by commandments. But time to live by grace. By grace and love. And uh, Paul hit it so hard in the book of Galatians. The gospel in its purity, grace and freedom from the law. It's uh, a message that we really do need today. And so this is available for you. Um, I'll be, it's priced, normal price is twelve ninety nine. But because this is Kensington Temple and you're faithfully attending and, and working for the Lord here, we are for a limited time going to uh, offer it for £9.99. Uh, just for you though. And uh, at the end of the service, um, if you want me to, I'm more than happy just to sign it for you as a memento. It's my pleasure to do that. Um, I'm not taking any of the um, royalties. All the royalties from this book are going directly into the work of Kensington Temple uh, to reach Muslims in North Africa and the Middle East. So that, that's where everything goes. So just to let you know about that. Thank you. And um, today is the start of a new series. If you have your Revival Times, the actual series is advertised on page four. And uh, we're going to be starting this series. It's a um, five-part series. And it's called, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? The Positive Impact of Christianity in History. And I was encouraged to do this by a book by the same name called... What If Jesus Had Never Been Born by um, James Kennedy. And um, I tried to get some for the bookshop, but um, they're, they're actually out of publication. But if you do go on Amazon, you can get them there at a reasonable price. There's still some up on Amazon. So if you're interested in going deeper into some of the things that I'm talking about in this series, I just wanted to you know, recommend this book that had such a positive interest on me. And today we're going to introduce this concept what if Jesus had never been born? What would the world be like? Uh, what would Britain be like? What would Europe be like if Jesus had never come into the world? We're going to look today at an introduction and then we're going to look at the image of God, Christ and the value of human life and how that has shaped for good the world. And then next week we're going to have a look at the Christian message of mercy to the poor, Christians' contribution to helping Christians' contribution to helping the poor. Then the next will be education for everyone, Christianity's contribution to learning through the ages, freedom for all, Christianity's contribution to civil liberty, and then finally the beauty of morality, Christians' Christianity's contribution to morals and family life. So I want to take us through the different aspects of our Christian faith to see how it has impacted the nations that have embraced Christianity and Christ uh, over the centuries. 
And uh, I want to start with the scripture, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least seeds of all. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So you have here a picture of a seed that is sown. It's a very small seed, but eventually it grows greater than all the bushes, becomes a tree, and even the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now that passage can be applied to you as an individual receiving the kingdom of God in your life and how that will blossom and bear fruit. But also, this is also, I think, talking about the influence that the kingdom of God has on the world and the positive effects of the kingdom of God. I like the picture of the birds nesting in the tree because those birds are a picture of the Gentiles or a picture of those that have not received the kingdom of God, perhaps, but are enjoying its benefit. They're not part of that seed, which is a kingdom of God, or part of the uh, wonderful tree that has grown out of it, but they come and they enjoy the benefits of a tree. If you notice how birds love trees, I mean, I park my car just next to Colin, and right now, it is not benefiting my car to be under the tree because the, the birds are above, you know what I'm saying, and that stuff is hard to get off. Birds nest in trees. They're not part of the tree, but they enjoy its shade, they enjoy its fruit, they enjoy the benefits of this. And I think that this parable is a picture of what Christ and his teachings and the kingdom of God does when a nation becomes Christian or, or receives a large part of Christian influence. You know, it's not just Christians that benefit from the kingdom of God, even those that are part of the kingdom of God can, like birds, nest in the tree and enjoy the benefits that come from Christ and his teaching. Uh, we're told that we are now living in a post-Christian society. Christianity, its truth and practice, is being pushed out of the public sphere into the private sphere. It's like, you keep your Christianity at home, please. We've been looking at this in the last series on apologetics. Don't bring it into the workplace. Don't even bring jewelry that represents your faith into the workplace. Don't bring your views and opinions here. It's not wanted. It's not needed. What you believe in the privacy of your own home is fine, but we don't need Christ or Christian values in society anymore. And as I've said before, one of the most terrible lies of the enemy is to lump Christianity with all the other faiths and say, religion. I don't like religion. Well, which religion are you talking about? We don't want religion in society. Well, I can think of many religions I don't want influence in society because I believe the influence is harmful and bad. But I tell you what, Christianity, and what I want to be looking at over the next few weeks, uh, we need more of Christianity in society. We, we need more of Christ in our schools, more of Christ in politics. We need to bring Jesus back. In fact, although I speak about Christianity through this series, really I'm speaking about Jesus. 
Jesus. Because sometimes Christianity has not portrayed Jesus or the kingdom of God as it should. And I'm not talking about that in these lectures, uh, uh, sorry, in these um, sermons. I'm talking about authentic, spirit-filled Christianity that is based on love of God and love your neighbor. So people are saying, we don't need Christianity anymore. We're a post-Christian nation. But what I'm contending with you today is that these people have forgotten the good things that we have in Britain and that they mostly come from our Christian heritage. When you, for example, compare nations that have grown up on a Christian heritage and compare them with other nations that haven't, the contrast is stark. We're looking at that. You think of some of those big nations that have never been Christian. And you look at their society, you look at some of the things we're going to look at, education, um, looking at human life and, and its dignity, uh, looking, looking at freedoms and liberties. If you compare nations that have not been influenced by Christ and his gospel as much as others, uh, well, I tell you, there's very few I would want to live in. Very few. You think of them yourself. And uh, another verse I would give you an introduction to this is Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 to 14. Matthew 5 verse 13 to 14. You are the salt of the earth. But if that salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, one of the major use, uses of salt at this time was to preserve meat. In these days that Jesus was speaking, they didn't have electric refrigeration systems. So if you wanted to preserve meat, one of the main ways that you would do that is by salting it. And the salt would act as a preservative in the meat and slow down the rotting process. Well, Jesus says that we, the church, are meant to be salt. What does that mean? It's meant to mean that society is like the meat. And that without the salt of the Christian church, society is going to rot. It's going to go rotten. Because without Christ, this world is dominated by sin, Satan, and the condemnation that comes with the law. The whole world has fallen. And so if society is left to its own fallen state, it goes rotten reasonably quickly. But Jesus is saying that if we can get Christians involved in their society, not keeping their faith in the private place, but taking it wherever they go, in the workplace, in their education place, and to begin to bring the gospel in all its forms, its truths and its attitudes into society, the Bible says, Jesus says, we're going to salt it. We're going to make a difference to the society that we live in for good. We're going to stop the rot and bring a positive, beneficial, preserving saltiness to it. And then 
straight after that, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Not just in preaching the gospel, but also in being a light in the truths that we know about love, loving God, loving one another, dignity, all the areas that we're going to look in. Because without the light of the kingdom of God, then the world is plunged into darkness. In the futility of their own fallen minds and ways. They are struggling to find what's right. Struggling to find the answers. But we have the salt and we have the light. And that's why the devil wants to put our light under a bushel. Or under a bucket. He, wants to, he knows that we're the light. And so he wants to keep the light in buildings like this. He wants to keep the light in our own rooms. He wants to keep the light out because it will shine in the darkness, expose what is right and what is wrong, what is beneficial and not beneficial. That's what the enemy's out to do in our nation right now. But if you look at the history of Great Britain and its Christian legacy for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you find that Christ's example and Christian truth have illuminated societies that have been heavily touched by the gospel of Christ. And uh, some of the things we can look at through these days, let me just read you a list that without Christ and Christian influence, this list would be, uh, well, if some of these were there, it would be a lot, it'd be a lot worse. Christians and the Christian message produced hospitals and medicine, universities, Education and literacy came from the church. The, the monks were the ones that taught people how to write. Free enterprise, representative government, civil liberties, abolition of ancient and modern slavery. Christianity was behind that. Modern science, elevation of women, protection of the, and worth of children, benevolence and charity. Justice and fairness. You know, our legal system was based on Christian values. Uh, family values. A high regard for human life. The civilization of barbarism. Arts and music. Just think of the great Renaissance. Just think of the Christian arts right through the Middle Ages. The beauty of arts and music. And of course, the most important thing, the salvation of eternal souls. A lot of the above, above areas and others that I'm going to be focused on have been ignored by the secularists who are very recent actually in their coming to the fore in uh, society, only a generation or so, and uh, so far they're making a very bad job of it. And uh, they are co-opting a lot of the things that we as Christians have pioneered. Co-opting, In other words, they're taking what the Christians started out of the gospel and the values of Christ and they want to take Christ out of it, uh, but they want to keep the benefits. This is why often local governments are very happy for churches to do social work, but they don't want any gospel in it. They want to drive out the gospel. Yes, you can have your creches. Yes, you can help the homeless. Yes, you can get involved with... Um, uh, uh, Alien, and not aliens, but you know, people from other countries that have come over, refugees. You can get involved in all of those things, but keep your Jesus out of it. You ever notice that? Yeah, you, you can get involved in education, but keep your Jesus out of it. 
Uh, there's some charities that are around today that when they were birthed in the 1800s for children or others, they were birthed with the gospel. To preach the gospel and teach the gospel. And today, some of those are almost unrecognizable. Because they no longer promote the Christian values. They do the social work without Christ. And so many things, and I want to highlight some of these things, that the secularists take, for advan take advantage of uh, and uh, uh, have been born of the Christian message. It's like they think, well, if Christ had never been born, Britain would still have its sense of fairness Britain would still have its charity, still have its sense of dignity. They simply assume that civilization, left to itself, would produce the good things that we still have in this country. They assume it, but they assume incorrectly. Not everybody, some, you know, some people wish that Christ had never been born. That, he, that he'd never been born. I mean, let me read you from Friedrich Nietzsche. Now, Friedrich Nietzsche was a philosopher in Germany. And out of his philosophical opinions, much of Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany took his philosophy series, serious and put it into practice and pushed God of the Bible, Christian God, right out of Germany, which was one of the greatest Protestant Reformation nations, the preaching of the gospel, the word, pushed it right out, and in its place put atheism, and we know, well, 16 million died as a direct result. And he says this, this is, this is the spirit of wishing that Christ had never been born. Nietzsche said this, I condemn Christianity. I bring against it the most terrible of accusations that ever an accuser put into words. It is to me the greatest of all imaginable corruptions. It has left nothing untouched by its depravity. It has made a worthlessness out of every value, a lie out of every truth, a sin out of everything straightforward, healthy and honest. Let anyone dare to speak to me of its humanitarian blessing. To do away with the pain and woe is contrary to its principles. It lives by pain and woe. Christianity has created pain and woe in order to perpetuate itself. It invented the idea of original sin. Invented the equality of souls before God. That a cover for the rancor of its useless base parasitism. The cross is the rallying point for a conspiracy against health, beauty, well-being, courage, internet, intellect, benevolence, against life itself. The eternal accusation I shall write upon all walls. I call Christianity the one great curse, the one great intrinsic depravity, for which no expedient is sufficiently poisonous, secret, subterranean, mean. I call it the one immortal shame and blemish upon the human race. He's talking about us. <laughs> He's talking about Christ. I mean, poison. In some of the new atheists' books, they call religion poison. And they include Christianity as part of that religion. Poison of no value. Uh, they say, Richard Dawkins says, that for a Christian to bring up their children in Bible teaching is a form of child abuse. And so right now out there, 
there is a lot of venom against Christianity. It's not seen as being valid or use, useful. But this man, you know, Hitler and the Nazis put his into action. 16 million died as a result. What happens when you take God out of the, out of the equation? You end up getting the Hitlers. Stalin and Mao, Chairman Mao, tried to destroy Christianity in their domains. Slaughtered tens of millions of people, many of them Christians. Countries that ban or persecute Christianity don't do very well in the list of benefits to humankind and freedoms and liberty. A country that turns its back on Christ usually sees an increase in corruption in all those areas of the list that I've seen and more. But the gospel is fighting back. In this series will ask the question, what if Jesus had never been born? And look at the positive impact of Christianity in history and how truth changes society for the better. Today we're going to begin with the impact of the teaching of man being made or humanity being made in the image of God and how that has affected history. Genesis chapter 1, 27. Genesis chapter 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. According to Jewish Christian teaching and heritage, humanity is not simply a biological machine. Neither are humans just one animal amongst many animals. According to Christian teaching and Christ, humankind is set apart from all creation, even set apart from the angels. Man, when I use man, I'm using it as meaning humanity. Man is like God, moral, intellectual, and eternal. God has bestowed upon all humans the dignity of his image. In fact, God so dignifies humanity that he became one. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So God, when he created mankind, he created us in his image. Now, you might say, yeah, we know that. that that's, ob that's, that's obvious, isn't it? Maybe obvious to a Christian, but to a non-Christian or a secularist, it's not at all. To a secularist, man is not created. Richard Dawkins simply says that we are biological machines and that we only exist to propagate our DNA, to produce more biological Machines. That's the phrase that he uses. Now, if you're a machine, what does it matter if I turn you on or off? Other religions, too, do not have this picture of all humanity being made in the image of God. Islam, for absolute certain, does not see man made in the image of God. That would be a blasphemy. As far as they're concerned, we were just made from a drop of blood. And so in the other world religions, 
they also do not see this truth of man being made in the image of God. Just because if you've been a Christian for a while, you get used to this doctrine and you assume it, you tend to think, if you're not careful, everybody else believes that too. They don't. And this has implications. Because many of our teachings and many of the changes in society in the 2,000 or so years of Christianity, many of the changes that has brought dignity into human beings has come out of this teaching that every single human being, no matter what race, creed they are, no matter what age or sex they are, every single human being is worthwhile and made in the very image of of God. Now, before Christ came in history, life was treated very cheaply. It was expendable. Life was cheap. People could take life and nobody thought anything of it. Even today I put to you, think of places where, the, where Christianity's influence and teaching is not there. You will find in many of those places, the vast majority of those places, that life is cheap. Life is cheap. Children, for example. You know, in the ancient Near East, during the time of Christ, before the time of Christ, child sacrifice was common in the religions of the world. It was really only Judaism that took a strong stand against it. It was especially co common amongst the Canaanites, who worshipped Baal, and we see this struggle. One of the reasons that Israel was told to drive out the Canaanites was to drive out their demonic religion that thrived on the sacrifice of children. Archaeologists digging next to an old Canaanite temple in Samaria found loads of remains of infant, infants and that temple was one of the temples that Ahab set up. Remember Ahab and Jezebel? You see, we read these things in the Bible and they just sometimes they just read like stories. But we don't realize how wicked and evil the Canaanite religion was. Also, the, in classical Rome and Greece, things weren't much better. It was very dangerous to be a baby in ancient Rome and Greece, as it increasingly is today in Great Britain. Abortion, and especially abandonment, was commonplace. Disabled or unwanted children were simply taken into a forest or on a mountain and abandoned for the wild animals to die of exposure, starvation, or to be picked up by nasty people with nasty plots about what they were going to do with those abandoned children. Virtually... History teaches us virtually all deformed babies were abandoned. Many abandoned their children due to poverty or because they were female. In fact, at times in uh, Roman culture, there were so few females that that's just why they had to marry uh, or, or get people engaged so young because there wasn't enough females because uh, females weren't seen as being as valuable as males. And so... They were being abandoned. And it wasn't against the law to do any, any of these things. If you were a child, you were the property of your father. Um, the, the, the Romans even considered that the killing of your child could be an act 
of beauty. Many were sold into slaves. Now to us, we immediately are thinking, that's awful, that, that, that's, that's terrible. But you see, they didn't have the belief that people were made in the image of God. Now, when Jesus came, he came as a baby. I mean, think about that. God was a baby. Dignifying childhood and infancy. But remember, even in Jewish culture, Jesus was born of a baby. But remember the slaughter of the innocents by Herod? Absolutely appalling, infanticide, to try and reach one child that could possibly be um, a challenge to his kingship. It wasn't thought crazy to go around slaughtering every child. These, this, this, these are the Jews that should know better, you know, the, the, the image of God, in order to get to one. Jesus was revolutionary in the way that he treated children. Well, the disciples were trying to keep the children away from him. It was like, you know, they're not even old enough to understand what he's saying. These are kids. They should be not seen and not heard. And now they're all flocking Jesus. And he's, going to t- and he's meant to be teaching us, the adults, keep those jolly kids away from Jesus. And Jesus said, let them come to me. And do not forbid them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Matthew nineteen fourteen. This is revolutionary, friends. In teaching this, I sort of have this feeling because you know the scriptures, you believe this, and it's part of who you are as a Christian. And in fact, although it's changing, many people in Great Britain today would say, yes, children are special, children are dignified. But what I'm saying is, is that this is actually revolutionary teaching by Jesus in the world that he was living in. And the reason at the moment, and things are changing, that Western nations that are still, still heavily influenced by Christian teaching and, and moral, take it for granted that we love our kids in Great Britain. Take it for granted. And people who don't even go to church might not even believe in God. Take it for granted that children are valuable. But they don't know where the belief came that empowered that. Do you hear what I'm saying? And when you lose the faith behind the morality, then what will happen sooner or later is you will revert to the rottedness of a culture without Christ. And so he said, you want the kingdom of God, you need to be like a child. Instead of the children learning from the adults, the adults were to learn from the children. He modeled fatherhood and sonship. Right through his life you see this beautiful picture of the father who loves the son. And the son who loves the father. Again, try and move through, friends, what you would take for granted. Because it wasn't taken for granted in those days. It was revolutionary. It took hundreds and thousands of years, these sorts of attitudes, to make their way and break through into what we now call civilized society. People take it for granted today, although you look at nations that don't, never had these, and you see very different, and the decay is setting in. 
He modeled the love. He opened the way for us to become children of God and to enjoy family life in the kingdom and to apply that also into our families. Fathers were now to treat their children with the love that the father has for his own son. In the second century, still very early in Christian times, um, we see that the very fact that Christians marry and uh, have children but don't destroy them is seen as strange. Let me just read you a passage, a very um, famous passage. This... Oh, where's it gone? Yeah, the letter, a very famous letter in, in, in theology, the letter to Diognetus, second century, and this is a non-Christian writing. He says, Christians marry, they beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. So he's writing, saying, isn't this strange? There's a bunch of people that have children, but if it's a girl, they keep it. If it's deformed, they care for it. Any child that these Christians have, they keep. If they have more than they wanted, instead of doing what we do, put them into exposure, they keep their children. So very early on, people were recognizing that these Christians were different. Also, by the time of the 6th century, Christian beliefs and ethics had penetrated a lot of the areas of Roman society. In fact, the emperor started becoming Christian. Think of the emperor Justinian. And in the 6th century, they talk about some of the new laws that, um, that came in. And let me just read. Many permanent legal reforms were set in motion by emperors Constantine and Justinian that can be laid to the influence of Christianity. Licentiousness and cruel sports were stopped. New leg legislation was ordered to protect the slave, the prisoner, the mutilated man, the outcast women. Children were granted important legal rights. Infant exposure, leaving them to die, was abolished. Women were raised from a status of degradation to that of legal protection. Hospitals and orphanages were created to take care of the young children. Personal feuds and private wars were put under restraint. The Justinian Code declared that those who opposed children, possibly hoping they would die, and those who use portions of, of, or, or, or engage in abortion are subject to the full penalty of the law, both civil and church, for murder. Should exposure occur, the finder of the child is to see that the child is baptized and that he is treated with Christian care and compassion. They may be then adopted, even as ourselves have been adopted into the kingdom of grace. So can you see how, in such a pagan place, Christian values, Christian beliefs, were getting now in, even into the laws and changing a whole Empire. Um, now, let's just think about these. You think, well, that was a long time ago, you know. 
Things like that don't happen today. Well, we have people involved in the church who are helping and raising money for charity. I think of Ning Cam, the violinist, and she's involved in a charity that is seeking to help the abandonment of children in China. We know that in India today, there's still a problem with abandonment, especially in um, young girls. Think of areas in the world where it seems that it's permissible for child soldiers. And so in non-Christian societies, we can find that nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And also in other societies that are, are, are strongly led by other religions, children are not honored like they are in the, in the Western nations influenced by Christians. True Christians have always cherished life as sacred. Now, now there's, if we are made in the image of God, life is sacred. The sanctity of life. What does that mean? It means that it's holy. That it's sacred. That it's something from God. We are not just biological machines. And you see this even today where there's Christian influences. The thousands of Christian pregnancy clinics that are in, in, in the Christian nations today. I was speaking to one of the evening diploma students that is involved out of Christian care for the unborn child, she is involved in a pregnancy clinic center where they seek to serve women from whatever faith or none. And part of that is to try and help them and give them another way where they don't have to simply think there's no choice. I have to go for an abortion. Christ is pro-life. Because the moment of conception, you have an image of God. The moment a child is conceived, that child is a full person. I mean, it was in the newspapers only a few weeks ago. I don't know if you read it, but some people were saying that actually it would be permissible to abort a child that had been born. I couldn't believe my eyes when I read that in the newspaper. Some secularist, why? Why would it be okay to abort, to kill a child that had been born? Why? And the answer is because it's not a person yet. It doesn't have the consciousness or the ability to rational. It's not a person. And so a lot of these abortionists, they're speaking in terms, they're saying these babies are not humans, they're not persons, they're just a cl cluster of cells. Can you see how it's a repeat in modern form of the old ancient societies and after all if it is just a biological machine why keep it get another biological machine just a biological machine we don't need a biological machine in our lives right now so we'll get rid of a biological machine now if you know anybody that's been involved in abortion you give them love and there's forgiveness and the little one has gone to be with the Lord and we come with mercy and grace not judgment and law but at the same time, we can speak on behalf of the children that can't speak for themselves, including the unborn. So that's why, as Christians, this is a major issue for us, the unborn, the children. I mean, Christians have begun homes and orphanages throughout history. 
Right through history, the church in all its forms would look after the orphans, the children. When the Salvation Army went to the streets to feed the poor and to house the homeless, one of them that was radically born again, called Dr. Bernardo, saw the children that were just left at the time to live ragged, living on, on, on roofs. And he began the Bernardo's homes. And if you look on the Bernardo's website and you look at the history, you see right there that it was Christ that caused him to care. Christ that caused him to do this. It was the value of these children and the Victorians had, had lost the value of children at that time. It was the industrial revolution. There were so many children, they didn't know what to do with them. The rich had forgotten them. And even parts of the church that was very ru rural at the time had forgotten. But those that were born again, God began to touch them. Because when you're born again, you become sensitive to the truths of God. And we know that we are meant to love people, care for people, body, soul and spirit. Another example is the way that Christ dignified women. Again, prior to Christ, uh, many babies were abandoned, and many of them, as I've said, were female, because women weren't seen as being uh, worth keeping. And I said that many, there's cultures today where it's exactly the same. And those cultures is because they haven't had the gospel. They don't know that the, they don't see these children as being made in the image of God. They don't have that consciousness. And as I've said, that consciousness is beginning to wane in the Western world. Just give it a few, just keep pushing Christ out. Just keep talking about biological machines, clumps of cells, about babies being born, not really being person just keep just keep feeding it just keep pulling out Christ and we're already I mean the amount of child abortion that takes place that should never take place year after year sacrificed to the gods of pleasure self right I'm not talking about the difficult cases of abortion I'm talking about the vast majority where there's no question at all a baby has been killed Women, polygamy. Now, the Bible does not teach polygamy. Do you know, even in the law of Moses, it didn't teach polygamy. In one of the laws in Leviticus, it says that you shouldn't take a, um, a, a, a rival wife with your own wife. And that's why many Jewish people by the time of Jesus, well, most of them, they, they were marrying one wife. The creation mandate is Adam and Eve. Not Adam, Eve, Sheila, Mary, Claire. Adam and Eve. They shall be one. Not multiple. One. And Jesus said, you know, a lot of the laws of Moses came in because of your hardness of heart. But it was not so in the beginning. So sometimes when you look at the law and you think, whoa, that's a weird law. Yeah, it was God dealing with such hard-hearted people that they weren't ready for the full rev revelation. And so he condescended to where they were. And so that's why divorce... And they say, oh, Jesus, talk about divorce. He said, the reason that you had divorce in the law was because of your hardness of heart. But it was not so in the beginning. And so the dignity of marriage. Christ valued women. 
Uh, and uh, he, he would meet with the worst of them when society said that he shouldn't. Do you remember the woman of Samaria? It was an absolute outrage that Jesus should be talking to that kind of woman. It was an outrage that he should be talking to a woman to begin with. Let alone a woman who'd gone through five and the one that she had wasn't her husband. A woman that had been so ostracized even by Samaritans that the only time she could get water was at the hottest part of the day when nobody else was there. But Jesus came and he ministered to her and he saved her soul. He saved a basic prostitute. And when the disciples came to them, they said, are you hungry? He said, you have no idea what I've just been fed. I've done the will of my Father to reach out, to dignify. We know that uh, in Luke, that many of the people that funded Jesus' ministry were women. And Jesus was susceptible to a lot of accusations. Do you know that? About his dealings with women. Do you remember the woman who came into Simon the Pharisee's house and just wept and kissed his feet and poured, you know, Gucci all over him? And Simon the Pharisee's going, What's this? And Jesus is saying, This is the dignity of a woman that's found God. In Christ, we know Galatians says, In Christ there is no male. No female. Again, we take this for granted as Christians and even in countries that are still under influence because of the hundreds of years and the laws that have been so influenced by Christian. Even here, there's still today uh, an understanding that, uh, of these things. But you see, when you take Christ out of society, things are going to change. Marriage is important. Marriage is the cornerstone of a healthy society. Marriage between a man and a woman. You see, the gospel says that marriage is ordained by God. When you get married, we have this little marriage prayer group. Um, prayer, sorry, prayer, um, oh, sorry, a marriage book that we read from. And at the beginning we say that, you know, marriage was ordained from the beginning between man and a woman for the godly procreation of children and for mutual support and shouldn't be entered into lightful, ordained by God. God, marriage is a God idea. Oh, well, we want marriage for all kinds of people and we want to kick God out of it. We're not bothered what Christ says. We're not bothered about what Genesis says. Uh, we, we'll take marriage, thank you very much. Marriage that has been the strength of our nation for hundreds and hundreds of years. Marriage. And now, marriage is, if people, you know, it's funny, isn't it? A few years ago, nobody wanted to get married. It was like, we want to get marriage out of society. People should just live together. Marriage is holding us back. And now, everybody wants to get married, but on their terms. And this is why these things are issues. Because when you mess with marriage, you're going to mess with the nation. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to mess with the nation. And... Um, a Hindu woman once said to Charles Spurgeon, a great uh, preacher, one of the greatest British preachers of all time, and she said, surely your Bible was written by a woman. And Spurgeon said, why? He said, because it says so many kind things for women, especially in the New Testament. Is this an issue today? Yes, it is. 
as Christianity is being driven out, in its place comes sexual exploitation, prostitution, pornography. Do these things dignify and celebrate womanhood and femininity? And yet, the culture that is increasingly pushing Christ out, they are getting porn-hardened from an early age. Women as sexual objects, abortion that comes from these things. What about child marriage and honor killings? I mean, we're shocked when we see these honor killings in Britain, but they're taking place all the time in non-Christian nations. All the time. And one of the problems is, is we're not willing as a nation to go into other nations and say, stop it. Stop this abandoning of children in China. Stop these honor killings. Change the way that you... We don't do that anymore because we're not Christian nations anymore. So we just say, just let them get on with it. As long as we can have decent oil, as long as we can have trade routes, we'll, we'll take morality out of it. Let's not speak into their... Na and we've lost... The reason that we don't speak into these issues anymore is because actually there's no Christ to follow. And so people are just riding on the ebbing tide of Christian truth. It is ebbing as they push Christ out, as they think that everything that they've got, our attitudes to women, our attitude to children, and, and you say, well, the church has not always had the right attitude to children, Bruce. Uh, what about what's happened with some Catholic priests recently? Well, I accept that, but what I'm talking about is Jesus. Jesus. I'm talking about what if Jesus never existed? You, you can pervert anything, including Christianity. Well, I'm talking about authentic Christianity, not pretend Christianity. I'm talking about disciples, not people who just say they're Christians. They can, they, they, they can be more harm than good. I'm talking about authentic Christianity. Many non-Christian nations, women are not free. Not free. They are second-class citizens. There are women in our country under other religions that, that, that the government has allowed to set up its own Sharia law and they are being treated in their communities as second-class citizens. And you say, well, they could appeal to the law. No, they couldn't. They have no power. When you're in a closed community that has its own Sharia, it's going to take some sort of amazing, you know, Bodicea, Margaret Thatcher type of a woman to break out. When that culture, the pressure of the culture, the pressure of the elders, where, who are you going to turn to? Where, where are the options for these people? But never mind, we'll just let them get on with it in Bradford. You see what I'm saying? We've got to get the gospel out. The elderly, euthanasia. You see, why are Christians talking about, you know, if they're not killing babies, they want to kill old people or infirm people. And why are we against this? Because of the sanctity of life. Poor or old, young or female or disabled, it doesn't matter. You're made in the image of God. You're dignified. And everything that we do, we need to dignify Slavery, for example. Slavery, slavery has been removed from major empires twice. The Christian influence removed slavery. And it began with Paul doing things like writing a letter 
to Philemon or Philemon, whichever you want to say, Philemon, I say, and saying, I'm sending him back, but not as a slave, a brother, a brother. There is no slave or master in Christ. These incredible radical seeds, radical seeds, radical seeds that were sown. And then, of course, you think of William Wilberforce and the abolition of the slave trade. That was a Christian-run thing. Do you know that? A Christian-run thing. Wilberforce was radically saved in the Methodist revival. Although he remained an Anglican, well, he became an Anglican or remained an Anglican. He was radically saved by the Methodist revival. And he was going to enter into the ministry. But he was like, said, Don't go into politics and bring Christ there. And think of the dignity. And what was that about? Many people at the time didn't think that slaves were human. They thought they were a different class. Like Hitler didn't believe the Jews were human. That they were seen as animals. But Wilberforce and the Christian church said no in Britain. These are made in the image of God as much as we are and need to be dignified. And this is just a, a small sample of the truth that all people are made in God's image. Once you walk away from the dignity that Jesus has bestowed, he became a man. He walked with us, talked with us, ate with us. He touched those that were on the edges of society. He was a friend to sinners. He touched the lepers. Everybody that was disenfranchised, everybody that was put down, everybody that was thought as a second-class citizen, Jesus specialed them and taught us the dignity of all human beings, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what they believe, they are the image of God. And the blessings that we have in Great Britain today, on the, on, on the um, human beings, has come from the Christian message. And if you don't believe me, go and take a look what's going on in the non-Christian nations. Go and have a look. See what they're doing with the children. See what they're doing with the women. See what they're doing with the babies. Just go and have a look what they're doing. But I'm telling you, and we know this, I'm not warning you, but, we, but this is a warning. You take the salt out of the meat of society, the same rottenness that's in those fallen cultures is going to again bring rottenness into our culture, maybe different forms, but it'll be the same substance. And one of the things that will be attacked is the truth of the image of God. People who just love children, well, after a while, when there's no basis for the image of God, they're going, they're going to be increasingly hardened. And don't think that we've solved the woman problem. It'll come back. Women will be put down again. Because it is the gospel, that it is Christ, that truly sows the seed for the value of a human life. Lord, what if Jesus had never been born? Lord, he, there would have been no openness to the prostitutes. There would have been no dignity to the children. Where we are today, Father, we acknowledge where we are today in the good things in our nation did not happen by accident 
or by human evolution and education without you, but what the good things that we've had in our society. So many of them, Lord, have come from the Christian message of Christ. If there had been no Christ, what would Great Britain look like today? If there had been no gospel brought to Christianity, if it stayed in its paganism, where would Britain be today? Father, we know where we would be today. But thank God, Christ, you did come to this nation in the gospel. And throughout the years, as those have been true to you and your message, have salted and brought light into this world. And Lord, we pray that you will once again raise your church. Lord, we refuse to be locked up in the privacy of our own faith. And we declare that we have the answer to Britain's need. The only answer. And that is to bring Jesus, everything he is and all his claims and his teaching, right back into every aspect. Father, help us. Because we know in the end... It's not about lobbying or trying to change laws. It's about producing born-again people. Lord, help us to witness, help us to save the lost, knowing that the more people get saved, the more society will be influenced. So, Father, we ask from the top of our society to the bottom that they will help us and convict us to take the gospel and that, Lord, you will once again turn the tide and bring Christ back central into this nation, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Christian's um, going to close with the announcements. And if you, if you do like, would like a book for me to sign, then I will be...